Acts chapter 18 in your Bibles this evening. Acts chapter number 18. And we're going to uh, look at the first five verses to begin with and uh, be looking at most of the chapter this evening. Acts chapter 18. Once you have found that, if you're able, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts 18, and we'll begin with verse 1 and read down through verse 5 to get us started here. The Bible says, And these things Paul departed, rather I'm beginning here, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. The title of the sermon this evening is this, Every Need Supplied. Every Need Supplied. We'll see, we've seen Paul and his team have their needs supplied as they've gone about serving the Lord. And here in this passage, uh, we're going to see how God takes extra good care of those who devote their lives to live according to His will. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You tonight for our youth group and, uh, Lord, their hearts for You, their love for You. Lord, thank You for all the investments that are put into them. And Lord, we are excited about their future, both here at our church and uh, beyond and within your perfect will. As we open the Bible tonight and we focus on this passage, Lord, move, move and stir our hearts, uh, Spirit of God, like only you can. Help us to set aside the cares of this world, the uh, plans we have for tomorrow and even this evening. And uh, Lord, just be in the moment with the Bible in our laps and uh, the Word of God uh, speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I suppose I was uh, somewhere around the age of eight years old when I memorized the verse Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. As a small child, these were just words. They didn't mean anything to me. I knew the verse, but I didn't really know what it meant. Uh, I didn't even begin to comprehend what it meant, much less... Uh, be able to put it into practice. Somewhere a, a while later, I memorized Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. As I aged, I began to uh, understand Matthew 6.33 a little bit better, that if we seek God's kingdom first, all of these necessities of life would be added to us. If If I... Uh, what I learned is that if I prioritize God's work for my life, then He will give me the emotional, material, and intellectual goods I need to accomplish His work. A clever way someone once phrased this is God does not call the equipped, He equips the called. I, I think that's very accurate. Uh, as a young man, I would go off to church camp for a week in the summer, uh, pretty much every year of my life, and there were some... Uh, things that were expected of me uh, by that camp. Uh, they would provide, uh, I, rather, there were some things I expected from that camp. If you 
follow me here. They would provide for me. When I showed up at camp and I got off the bus, I expected them to have a cabin with a roof over my head. Now, the cabin might leak and uh, the mattress might be springy and uh, the, uh, there might be uh, a snake in the, in the cabin. Who knew what was going to be there? Spiders and whatnot. But I expected them to provide me a roof over my head and I expected that come mealtime there was going to be some camp food. How many here have ever eaten Christian camp food? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Sometimes it's scrumptious, sometimes it's not so scrumptious. But uh, it was always edible, amen? Uh, I expected them to provide a roof over my head, and I expected them to put food in my mouth. And when I, uh, learn, what I have learned over my years of Christian living is that if I will give my heart to serve Jesus, and that doesn't necessarily mean full-time Christian ministry. That means you doing what God's called you to do in your life. If you'll learn to follow Jesus in His will, uh, listen, He's going to take care of your every need. Your every need. Now, He may not always take care of your wants, but your every need, your every need. Uh, you're going to have a meal in your mouth. You're going to have a roof over your head. You're going to have those things that are necessary. Whether you're serving God here in the U.S. or across the seas on the mission field, when you're in the perfect center of God's will, what you find is that every need will be supplied. Uh, just as a child expects his parents to pay the bills and keep a roof over his head and food in his mouth and clothes on his back. As you work for God and walk with God, you can expect God to do the same thing for you. As a child, I never um, woke up, uh, or rather uh, wrung my hands at night in bed and thought, I wonder how my dad's going to pay the bills this month, and I wonder how he's going to get food in the fridge. Now, I found out years later that sometimes my dad stayed up at night wringing his hands, wondering how he was going to do those things, but I would go to bed with peace in my heart, because I knew that dad was going to take care of it, and many Christians are busy trying to take care of the things that God claims, God has claimed in his word that he's going to take care of for us. When we do the work of God within the will of God, you can rest assured that your every need will be supplied. Yes, your physical needs. Yes, your health needs. Yes, but beyond that, your emotional needs and your intellectual needs in order to do what He's called you to do. I believe this evening that the word here is the word control. Control. Am I in control of my life, my health, my well-being, my future, or is God the one that's in control? When, when doing God's work within His will, uh, is it on my shoulders or your shoulders to supply every need, or is that God's responsibility? In theory, we all know that it is on God uh, to supply our needs, but oftentimes we live and behave as though it is on us. The question this evening is this, are we walking by faith or are we walking by sight? Is it what I can do or is it what I'm expecting God to provide, God to provide? Uh, as we go verse by verse through Acts, my goal is to, put, um, to pull, out one, uh, pull out of each chapter a theme that you will find relevant to your everyday living. In Acts, chapter 16, we saw how that God's work is people work. In Acts 17, we saw how to help those with misplaced faith. Tonight, we, uh, we rejoin Paul on his second missionary journey, and we look at his ministry in the cities of Corinth and then Ephesus throughout chapter 18. Let's stop and notice how that God supplied 
for Paul's needs. All right? If you uh, received a fill-in-the-blank outline, let me encourage you to take notes. Here we go. Number one, notice Paul's provisions. Paul's provisions. How did God take care of Paul's needs? How did God take care of uh, Paul's, uh, uh, those provisions that he needed? Notice letter A, his craft. His craft. Look with me at verse number 1 of Acts chapter 18. The Bible says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, uh, lately come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and, uh, and came unto them. Now, uh, watch how God is working in the background here. Paul was in Athens by himself, waiting for Timotheus and waiting for Silas, his teammates, to join him. And things went awry in Athens, and he departed Athens. He arrives in the city of Corinth, still on his own, no source of income, no money to pay his bills. And lo and behold, he meets a husband and wife team, Aquila and Priscilla. Now, quick side note here. Oftentimes in Scripture, moving forward, you'll, when you see Aquila and Priscilla, you find Priscilla's name listed first. Usually it's found Priscilla and Aquila. And um, I had a, a fun time reading as to why that was and why people speculate that was. Some folks think that Priscilla came from a higher wealth class than Aquila, and so that's why she was listed first in the Scriptures. And then other people think that Priscilla was just more dominant and led the marriage. So who really knows why uh, it was that order? I don't know that it matters, but Aquila and Priscilla came from Rome. Now, uh, they were born in Italy. Aquila was born in Italy, lived in Rome, and uh, he was a Jew, and and was ran out of Rome by Claudius. Now, uh, here God is working. He moves Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, whatever your order is, uh, he moves them out of Rome by a Roman emperor. Here they land in Corinth. They're making tents in Corinth. Paul shows up in Corinth, and he needs a job. He needs a way to make money. Paul had learned tent making as a trade as a young man and had not used it in years, but he meets them and realizes, hey, I can work with them. Can you see the hand of God working in the background to provide for Paul? You see how God allowed Aquila and Priscilla to not only be moved out of Rome, where they would later go back, uh, but moved out of Rome, but they would land in the very city at the time that Paul needed a source of income. Paul needed a partnership in business. You think, well, God only uh, cares about uh, the work of the Lord in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of church ministry. No, my friend, God cares about the work that you do each and every day. Whether you're swinging a hammer or building a helicopter or whatever it is that you do, the Lord cares about that and the Lord is working in the background to provide for your every need. I, we have uh, several men in our church who own their own business and uh, trust me, uh, uh, when you put God first and you're trying to run a business and you put God first, what you find is that God's going to prosper that business to the place to supply for your need. Uh, why? Because he had a craft and those needs were supplied. Look down at uh, verse number 3. The Bible says, And because he, Paul, was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. Paul had left Athens, headed toward Corinth, 
chapter 17, while in Athens, he sent for Silas and Timothy. They had not yet arrived. Paul shows up to Corinth, needing a place to stay and food to eat. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't sit in the corner and cross his arms with his lip poked out and said, here I am working for God and I don't have any money, I don't have a place to stay, and I don't have any food to eat. No, this was a time where God wanted Paul to use the gifts and abilities, physical gifts and abilities he had, and go earn his own money. And so we find here Paul in Corinth at the beginning, a bivocational minister. He works during the week. And then on Saturday, he heads into the tabernacle, or rather to the synagogue, where he's going to preach Christ to the Jews. And uh, uh, sometimes what God wants us to do is he wants us to get busy with our own hands, making a way for this to work. Uh, uh, Years ago, when I began to look for a church to pastor, back in 2016, it's it's hard to believe, I'm now saying years ago, but five years now I've been here, um, I began to pray about where I would go pastor, and I began to put my name out in places, and I realized quickly that the majority of Baptist pastors in America have to work a full-time job and pastor on top of that. Work a full-time job and pastor on top of that. The large majority of missionaries, they raise support to go to the mission field. They get to the mission field, and oftentimes some of that support starts to dry up, and they find themselves getting part-time work to supplement that income so that they can make it work on the mission field. Paul here had no source of income. Paul needed to lean on his craft, but Paul did not shake his fist at God and say, where is my money? I'm working for you. Where's that paycheck? No, Paul found Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla. He realized that God had brought them there for such a time as this, and he got busy getting to work. Look down at verse number four. We see this uh, one other important note. Paul wasn't consumed with selling tents and making money. He wasn't consumed with just making money. Paul was not put on earth to make money. Paul was put on earth to serve God and reach people. Look at verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So uh, Sunday to Friday, he sold, made and sold tents in order to pay his way. And then on Saturday, the Sabbath, when the Jews met in the synagogue, he went into the synagogue with his credentials here in Corinth and he preached Jesus in the synagogue. Now, uh, he didn't press them hard at the beginning. He went in and casually reasoned with them while he waited on his team. But what was he doing? He was, he, he was not put on earth to make money. He was put on earth to serve Jesus. And I wish I could drive this through to those of you here this evening. God did not put you on earth to make money and get rich. You very well may make a lot of money and you very well may have a lot of nice things and be labeled rich by a lot of people in this world. That might be a byproduct of your hard work. But please understand the end goal in life is not to die with the most toys. The end goal in life is to please God and do his work within his will. Paul, while he made money and while God prospered him in this tent making, what what was he really after? He was really after the people in Corinth and the souls that needed to be reached. So we see, how did God meet his provisions? Well, he brought Aquila and Priscilla into town for such a time as this. He partnered Paul up with them. They're making tents together. And then on Saturdays, Paul goes into the synagogue and he's preaching Jesus to anyone and everyone that would listen. Then we move on to letter B and we see the church's care. The church's care. Look down with me at Acts chapter 18 and look at verse number 5. The Bible says, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia... Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Now, uh, one of the joys I get in uh, uh, putting these messages together is that I get to dive deep 
into the life of Paul and look at events that surround the account in the book of Acts. We get all sorts of other tidbits of information from uh, the uh, Pauline epistles that were written that help us understand sort of what was going on, give us more of the story. So what happened when Silas and Timothy came from Berea? What happened when they came from the region of Thessalonica, uh, Macedonia, and made their way to Corinth? Well, what happened was their arrival was a real shot in the arm for Paul. And from what I can see in Scripture, it was a shot in the arm for Paul in three ways. Number one, it it relieved him of the anxiety he felt toward the uh, the Thessalonian converts. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the Thessalonians and how uh, he preached the gospel there in the synagogue and the Jews got all riled up and went and rented a mob and ran him out of town and arrested Jason and was persecuting Jason. And so they left and went down to the city of Berea. They were preaching the gospel in Berea and having great results. And then the people back in Thessalonica heard about it and came down and ran Paul out of Berea. Timothy and Silas were left behind, and when he arrived, he realized that not only had the Christians in Thessalonians in Thessalonica survived, they had even actually founded their own church and were thriving as a church. So, upon the arrival of Timotheus and Silas, how did that help Paul? Well, it gave him relief that the Christians in Thessalonica were okay. The second way it helped Paul was the presence of his co-labors gave him much-needed moral support. Yesterday I had a question asked to me in Soul Winners Club about um, how uh, do you recommend going out soul winning by yourself, by yourself, going out and sharing the gospel by yourself. And I answer the question this way. If you're by yourself and God brings a witnessing opportunity your way, boy, take full advantage of that. But there's a reason why in the book of Luke God sent them out two by two, two by two. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I was given a section of a bus route to visit all by myself. And at that Bible college, the uh, expectation put on you, not by the, the college, but by your peers, was that you'd get, get to your uh, bus route area about 10.30 in the morning, and you'd stay out till about 9 o'clock at night working that area to get as many people to come to church by yourself. Can I tell you that from 10.30 in the morning to 9 o'clock at night to work an area all by yourself is, gets very lonely very quick? That's hard. That's hard to be out there that long by yourself and uh, week after week after week, Saturday after Saturday. This is what Paul was experiencing. In Athens, he was all alone. He had come to Corinth, and yes, he made the friendship of Aquila and Priscilla, but he was all alone. He was all alone. And uh, when Timothy and Silas arrived, that moral support of coming alongside of him. Imagine teaching a Sunday school class by yourself of children and doing it for 10, 15, 20 years and getting weary and doing that. And then all of a sudden you get helpers that come in and they want to help you. Imagine working a bus route all by yourself for three, four, five years. Then all of a sudden you have these people that come in and want to help you uh, bring uh, boys and girls to church. And this is exactly the moral support that uh, Paul received. And the third way that I find in Scripture that this was a support to him was that there was a gift of money he received from the church at Philippi upon the arrival of Timothy and Silas. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 with me, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and here Paul is writing back to the church of Corinth, uh, referencing his time there uh, in Corinth when he ministered there, and he talks about some money that he received uh, from another church while there working for the Lord in Corinth. Look back at 2 Corinthians 
chapter 11 and uh, look with me at verse number 7. If you're in Acts, that would be three books to the right. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians. Look at chapter 11 and look at verse 7. I'll begin reading. We're going to read down through verse 8. He says here, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you to the gospel of God freely? Look here, verse 8. I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do your service. I robbed other churches. Now, did he put a gun in their face and take their money? No. But what he's saying is other churches paid the way for me to be able to preach in your city. Other churches gathered funds and sent it to me so that I would be able to uh, help you. Now, how do we know that that was the church of Philippi? Well, Philippians chapter 4 verse 5 says this, Let your moderation or your generosity be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The church of Philippi, we believe, collected an offering. Again, a, a region, they're in the region of Macedonia. Sent it, to, uh, sent it to Silas and Timothy and said, take this to Paul. So Paul then, upon the arrival of uh, uh, Silas and Timothy, where he was able to quit his tent making, at least for a time, and he was able to go full speed ahead at reaching the Corinthians with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, God had placed... Uh, God had placed it on it on the hearts of the Christians there in Philippi. They gave that generous offering, offering, and Paul went forth preaching the gospel. So we see number one, God provided for Paul. Paul's provisions. Number two, number two. Notice Paul's preaching in Corinth. Paul's preaching in Corinth. Look with me at uh, verse number four. Notice letter A. His reasoning with the Jews. His reasoning with the Jews. Verse 4. The Bible says, and again, this is while he's tent making, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. So he's making tents throughout the week. He shows up to the synagogue and he's just reasoning with them. He's persuading them. Uh, as was his practice, Paul would make a beeline when he got to a new town. He'd make a beeline to the synagogue and he would work to convince them uh, in that town, the Jews of that town, that Jesus is the Messiah uh, that they had long awaited. Now, quickly here, salvation is more than just getting someone to pray a prayer. All right? Uh, when you're going through the gospel with someone, the end goal is not to get them just to pray the sinner's prayer. Right? The end goal is to get them to, to reason with them and persuade them to believe. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight, you prayed a sinner's prayer not knowing what you were doing, and then later on when you fully understood the gospel, you prayed the sinner's prayer again and actually got saved. Is that anybody's testimony here this evening? You prayed more than once because you just really didn't understand? We have to be careful with that. I had someone tell me one time, they said, well, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So they don't have to fully understand, they just have to pray that prayer, and I paused them and I said, well, hold on there. Uh, at the time, my daughter was really young. I said, my three-year-old daughter, she can enunciate the words and I can get her to pray a prayer, but she's not at an age of understanding, so how could she get saved? How could she get saved? My friend, it's more than twisting someone's arm or manipulating someone in a prayer, into a prayer. The Bible says, again in verse 4, that he reasoned and that he persuaded. He reasoned and he persuaded. Old Testament, uh, Old Testament preachers, they prophesied. New Testament preachers, they 
persuade. Notice the difference. And uh, They stood up and they proclaimed in the Old Testament. They heralded forth in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, preachers, Christians are called to take the gospel and persuade men and women uh, to know Jesus as Savior. Letter A, his reasoning with the Jews. Letter B, notice his rebuke of the Jews, his rebuke of the Jews. Look at Acts chapter 18 and look with me at verse number 5. The Bible says, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit. Notice that phrase, pressed in the Spirit. We're going to come back to that in a moment. The Bible says, And testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Verse 6, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own hands. I am clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. So uh, Paul here, while tent making, he, he took more of a casual approach. But when uh, Silas and Timothy showed up with the money and he had his moral support, uh, he turned up the aggressiveness quite a bit here. Um, now, uh, look back at verse 5. It says there that Paul was pressed in the Spirit. Pressed in the Spirit. You look at that phrase closely in the original language, what it means was he was engrossed in his witness. The fire, the flame within him was turned up. He shut down tent making and he turned up gospel preaching and his zeal and fire was relit. It totally absorbed him. He went at it with a single-minded abandon. Uh, I'm thankful for times when God uh, supplying my needs goes uh, from being a verse in the Bible to being a reality. Uh, These are times that reinvigorate a servant of God. Uh, I I can remember all sorts of times along my journey uh, where uh, I I just felt like my needs really weren't getting met. Sometimes material and uh, monetary needs, but other times emotional needs. I felt emotionally empty and emotionally broken. And I can remember all kinds of various times in my uh, church ministry life, uh, even going back into my childhood, where I just felt like, God, you, you say you're going to supply my needs, but at this very moment, it really doesn't feel like my needs are getting supplied. And then lo and behold, uh, the, the, uh, the dumpster truck backs up and uh, God's blessings are just dumped right on top of me. And that moment comes and happens in your life. And you go from being weary and well-doing to reaping because you fainted not. You go from being uh, tired and exhausted and wondering, where are you, God? As David cried out from the the caves as he's being chased from Saul, God, have you forgotten about me? Have you abandoned me? To realizing, no, my God has not forgotten about me. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory uh, uh, by Christ Jesus. Uh, What happened is that Paul realized the blessings of God, the provisions of God, and it reinvigorated him with uh, with single-minded abandon to get busy doing the work of God. Paul's newfound zeal stirred up contention with the Jews. Corporately, they rejected his message in the synagogue. Paul, I can see Paul standing by the door in the synagogue, and there's being a, a, a battle, a philosophical battle back and forth, and Paul takes his robe and he, he shakes it violently and he says, I'm done with you Jews. Your blood be on your own head. And he storms out the door. Wow, that must have been a sight to behold. And he, he had done his part to try to reach them and they had rejected his message. Now he was going to take his gospel sermon to the Gentiles who wanted to hear it. Letter C, notice his reach of the Corinthians. His reach of the Corinthians. Now, 
if there isn't a sense of humor that God has, if you don't see God having a sense of humor, look at verse 7 and 8, and you can see that God has a sense of humor. The Bible says, And he, Paul, departed thence, and entered into a certain um, uh, man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God. Look where this place is located. Whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all this house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were and baptized. So here's how I have imagined this uh, playing out in my mind. All right, Paul gets into this philosophical argument within the synagogue. Jesus is the Christ, and they say, no, Jesus was not the Christ. And there's this back and forth and a heated dispute, and Paul grabs his garment, violently shakes it, and says, you all are crazy because you don't believe, and your blood's on your own head. I'm out of here. I'm going to go reach the Gentiles. And he walks out the door, and Justice is standing outside and says, do you need a place to preach? Maybe this building is like a duplex where the synagogue is in one part of the building and there's a wall down the middle of this building and on the other side of that wall is Justice's house. Uh, It says it was hard joined to the synagogue. Now, maybe it wasn't the same building. Maybe it was a building that was located right next door. But regardless, Paul walks out one door, walks over a few feet, and walks in another door and begins to preach to the Gentiles. And Crispus, who was the chief, uh, uh, the chief uh, priest of the synagogue, he says, you know what, I'm with that Paul guy. He walks out the door with and says, I'm going over there and I'm going to get saved and my family's going to get saved and we're going to believe in Jesus for salvation. And so now Paul is going to build a church in Corinth right next door to the Jewish synagogue. Right next door to the Jewish synagogue. That's where this church was founded. God has a way of providing not only the monetary, and oftentimes we're so money-minded, we think, my God shall supply all my need. And the very first thing we think of is money. You know, God doesn't always think in those terms. We all in here know people who have money, but they're, they're poor. You know what I mean? They're emotionally poor. They're socially poor. Right? They're physically poor. And the point I want to make to you tonight is that if you're poor in those areas, but you have money, then my friend, you are very poor. I would rather have little money in the bank and have deep relationships and, 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 and great uh, supply of emotional well-being than uh, the other way around. And here Paul goes next door. He begins to preach the gospel. And what does he find? He finds a bunch of Corinthian folk who are hungry to hear the gospel. Now, to understand the importance of this, you must understand a little bit of the history of Corinth. As soon as I say the word history, some people check out and go to sleep, okay? Don't do that to me, all right? Pay attention here. Uh, There are times when a pastor's preaching where you have to pay attention on purpose, and then other times I will work to keep your attention. This is a part of the sermon where I need you to pay attention on purpose. We all awake tonight? All right, we're all locked in? We're all trying to pay attention here. Okay, so let me give, give you some history on, uh, on Corinth here. Corinth was the polit- political capital of Greece. It occupied a strategic location on an isthmus, which is a natural land bridge that connected the, I looked this word up to see how to pronounce it, the uh, Peloponnesus and northern Greece. Did I get that right? Those of you that know history, is it Peloponnesus? Brother Tom, I'm leaning on you. You're, you're, a, you're a high school teacher, Amen. And Miss Rose, you teach. Is it Peloponnesus? 
Sure. Okay, we'll go with that. Peloponnesus in northern Greece. Um, it had harbors facing two seas, both east and west. The best way to describe the city of Corinth is that it was the vanity fair of the Roman Empire. This place was godless, okay? It was filled with lewdness, public nudity, and licentiousness. They worshipped the goddess Venus. Their worship was centered on the temple of Venus on the Corinthian, uh, 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 let's see, Acropolis. The priests and the priestesses of the temple were prostitutes. In classical Greek, the word Corinth, let's see, Corinthiazomiae means to act the Corinth or it meant to practice fornication. So these folks had a reputation, all right? Uh, there, were, uh, there were places where there was public bathing and public nudity and all sorts of problems with, uh, uh, with the sin, sexual sins of fornication. In fact, Paul takes three chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians to address the sexual sins within the church, even of Corinth. So uh, the culture was so godless that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, he said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus and Him crucified. You know, oftentimes when you go into a culture, you, you want to kind of get to know that culture and adapt to that culture. Corinth was so godless, Paul said, I kept the culture at arm's length. All I wanted to know was how to preach Jesus to you. That's it. That's how awful it was. Now, why did such a large church develop in such a wicked place? Don't miss this here because this is a big part of my philosophy as a pastor in this area, right? Don't miss what I'm about to say here. Corinth was filled with people that were so broken by sin that Paul did not want to emulate Corinth. He wanted to be a contrast to what Corinth had to offer. I've had people say to me, Pastor, when are we going to liven up the music a little bit? And they don't mean have a choir. They don't mean uh, have you know, more professional singing. What they mean is, mean is when are you going to bring the drum set on the stage? When are you going to have uh, uh, people that look like, dress like, and talk like the world? When are you going to liven up the music a little bit? When is the band going to arrive? Pastor, when are you going to quit dressing so formal in the pulpit? I'm not against pastors that don't wear a tie in the pulpit. You know what the Bible says about wearing a tie in the pulpit? Nothing. <laughs> Doesn't say anything about it at all. Um, uh, but listen, I believe that we ought to put on our best for the Lord. I believe we ought to come to church and, and look the very best we can. Uh, but listen, I don't want to look like and emulate the world. I want people to walk in the door of our church and say, wow, that was different. I want them to walk in here and say, I have been living in darkness. That place is filled with the light of, of, of Christ. Amen? And Paul did not want to be like Corinth. He wanted to reach them with the gospel. People that came in in the church of Corinth, uh, they found something very different than what the godless culture around them had to offer. You know what, you know what a godless culture does? It chews people up and it spits them out. When it spits them out, I want White Oak Baptist Church to be a place where they can be rescued. They can be helped. I look around at a crumbling America. I'm speaking, I'm not speaking politically right now, I'm speaking morally. I look around at a crumbling America. Never, ever, ever did I think that in my lifetime that holding to traditional views on marriage and life would get you labeled as a crazy. 
That's where we are in America. The, 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 the Christian philosophy, and, 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 and let me just say this, please understand what I'm trying to say here. This is not meant to have any racial tone to it, but our culture is attacking the Christian white male and what he stands for and trying to rip him down and obliterate and destroy him. And anyone who holds to the teaching and beliefs of the traditional Christian white male, I'm not speaking in terms of, uh, of, of racial equality, I'm just speaking in terms of being evangelical and Bible-believing. That is under assault. It's under attack in this country. Being a man uh, now today, you are less than if you're a man. And if you're straight, you're less than. It's this uh, intersectionality. And as I watch America crumble, while it breaks my heart, it also excites me. Here's why it excites me. Because the darker it gets out there, the brighter our light shines right here. Amen? You all awake tonight? Everybody okay this evening? We want our light to shine bright. And as the world gets darker, our light shines brighter and further. And that's why Paul was able to establish such a large work in Corinth. Because the world was so godless and he was so godly and people came to him to get what he had. My friend, you don't need to drink a beer in order to reach a drunkard. You don't need to smoke a joint in order to reach someone who's addicted to marijuana. You don't need to curse to reach someone with a foul mouth. You just need to hold the values of God's Word high in your life and you need to live uh, with a heart full of compassion and you need to be ready to give an answer to any man to ask of you the hope that lies within you and as their life crumbles and falls apart, they'll come crawling to you for the Word of God. He was able to reach the Corinthians because it was such a dark place and he had the truth to be the healing balm for their soul. Number one, we see Paul's provisions. Number two, we see Paul's preaching in Corinth. Notice number three, Paul's protection. Paul's protection. Letter A, notice a calm assurance. A calm assurance. Look with me at verse number nine here. Verse number nine, it says, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. No man, no man shall set uh, on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, to date, to date, this is the longest that Paul was ever anywhere at one time. Why was Paul not uh, in, so, in a place longer than a year and a half? Because he'd get there, and after a few short months, the Jews would get all stirred up, and run him out of town. Or like in Athens, their hearts were so cold, there was just not, the ground there was not ready for people to be reached. And so he would go a place, he'd end up in prison, he'd end up beaten, he'd even end up stoned, as it happened to him in Lystra, and he would leave. But here, uh, he set up shop right next door to the synagogue, he's preaching the Word of God, he's kind of walking on eggshells, and I think we can all understand why. Right? I mean, look, for Paul, you'd have to understand why he was nervous. I mean, he, he, in Philippi, he had been beaten and had his hands and feet locked in stocks. All of these other places, the Jews had stirred up people against him or themselves had come after him. He had to think, okay, boy, here comes another firestorm. And he goes to bed that night, um, and, and God says to him in a vision, He says, open up your mouth and preach. Be bold. Don't hold your peace. No man is going to hurt you. No man is going to hurt you. What a calm assurance that God was not just going to supply His material needs, but God was going to supply His safety. 
his safety. Aren't you glad that God provided Paul safety in order to be able to reach the Corinthians? He provides that for us again as well. I also want to point here to the humanity of Paul. I think we have to be careful about taking any human being and and deifying them. And a lot of people like to put Paul way up on this pedestal and make it as though he is completely unattainable. Uh, we, We will never be able to reach the heights of the Apostle Paul. You know, uh, Romans chapter 7, Paul admitted to having like passions and, and falling and, and sinning and making mistakes. Uh, I could take you and sit you down and show you various verses and show you where Paul had uh, uh, some struggles. Paul had some habits in his life that were not real healthy, were not real godly. Uh, here we see in verse, uh, verse number 10 uh, that he was afraid. He was afraid, or rather verse 9. The Lord had to tell him, Paul, don't be afraid. Do you know that if the apostle Paul can be rattled and become afraid, that all of us can have that happen to us too? That can happen to any of us. Oftentimes, I'll stand up here and I'll say, don't fear, don't fear. And you might think to yourself, well, Pastor Lejeune, surely there's something you're afraid of. Oh, I have my fears that are not healthy, that I have to take to the Lord. Here, Paul was afraid, and God said to him, Paul, I assure you, my hand of protection is around you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Letter B, we see a civil attack, a civil attack. They could not take Paul down because God had put his hand of protection around him. I imagine that uh, the people that showed up to the synagogue each week, they look over and they're seeing more and more prominent people from the Greek world walk into that church in Justice's house and they realize there's too many politically prominent people for us to just rise up and attack, but now they've found, they think they found an opening and they're going to go after Paul in court. Look at chapter number, uh, chapter number 18. We're going to look at verse 12 in just a moment here. Let me lay out for you the background. Uh, Paul, uh, from what we understand in history, Paul was there in Corinth from the fall of A.D. 50 through the spring of A.D. 52. So a year and a half, the fall to the spring of 52. Now, history books tell us that uh, Gallio assumed rulership in this province in A.D. 51. So that means Paul has been there about a year, maybe uh, eight months, eight months to a year when Gallio arrives in town and now he is the new Roman leader there in Corinth. For over a year, Paul and his team had built up the church at Corinth and the Jewish leaders are going to try and take him down through this new leader, this new Roman uh, ruler, Gallio. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says, And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, uh, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, the fellow, uh, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, so the accusation is, he's teaching them against our Jewish law. Uh, verse 13, or rather verse 14, And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, I love this, look here, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, uh, lewdness O ye Jews, reason, um, re, uh, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. I'll stop the reading there for a minute. They take this thing to court and they accuse Paul of breaking their own law. And Gallio looks at him and says, I don't care. I don't care one bit about your, uh, your, your inner squabblings within your religion with Paul. He says, get that out of my court. 
oh man, God has put His hand of protection around Paul. So they rebuttal and uh, Gallio has them thrown out of the courtroom. There's an anti-Semitic uh, feel in the city of Corinth. There are people that don't like the Jews of the synagogue. And now we're going to see uh, that they're going to step up and they're going to persecute the Jews. Look at verse 16. And he drave them from the judgment seat. He threw them out of court. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, and Gallio cared for none of those things. So he throws them out of court, and there are these people who say, oh man, Gallio is not in favor of the Jews. They gather up Sosthenes, the ruler of uh, the synagogue, and they bring him back in, and they accuse him, and Gallio sits there and says, whatever you want to do to him, I don't care. I'm not paying any attention to it. Uh, whatever you do to him, just do it. Just don't tell me. And they beat Sosthenes. They beat the, the people. Uh, you're talking about uh, evil coming back on your own head. You know what story I'm reminded of when I hear this? I'm reminded of Daniel in the lion's den. You remember Daniel, how the other presidents wanted to have him uh, thrown in a lion's den for, uh, for, for worshiping God? And, and he's thrown in the lion's den, but the lion's mouths are shut. And then the same men who conspired against Daniel are then thrown to the lions. That's what happened here in Acts 18. These men are trying to get Paul arrested, and they themselves are then beaten. Now, this is a neat little note here. I wish the Bible gave us last names. I don't think they had last names back then. But if you look back... At uh, verse number 17, you see the Bible says, Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes. Uh, Sosthenes is mentioned later in Apolline epistles as being part of the church of Corinth. I wonder if this is the same Sosthenes. I just wonder that. Maybe Sosthenes, through this experience, got saved and joined the church. I'm left to wonder uh, that here. Uh, now, uh, this is obviously far less dramatic than Daniel in the lion's den, but all the same, God was protecting his own. Now, Paul wanted to defend himself in court, but he didn't need to, because God had his defense. Let me make one quick point of application here. How many of you here that are on social media have ever had someone smear your name? Maybe you're not even on social media. You've had someone smear your name or go after you in an unkind way. You don't have to raise your hand. But, um, you know, it's happened to me my share of times. If you're on social media and part of our church, you've probably seen it. And I'm sure it'll happen again, right? That's part of how this goes. But if it's happened to you, let me just say this. You don't need to defend yourself because God knows the truth. And just leave it right there. Just leave it right there. Let God take up your defense. Paul didn't need to defend himself. God told him in that vision, no man's going to lay a hand on you while you were there. And sure enough, Paul would be there for a little bit longer. Why? Because uh, the Bible tells us in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I wish I could uh, just drill this down in your skulls and help this to become a deep part of your mentality. If I will do the work of God, then I have a promise from God and His Word that all of my needs are going to be taken care of. I must put God first. Romans 8.28 comes to mind. Romans 8.28 Romans 8.28 tell us, all things work together, and we know that all things work together for good. A lot of people want to hone in on that part of the verse. 
Well, all things work together for good. Well, that's, you know, that's a, a conditional promise. And all things work together for good to them that love God. If you're not loving God, all things aren't necessarily going to work together for good. To them that love God and to them who are the called according to His purpose. Watch this now. When we walk with God and we work for God, then and only then do all things work together for good. Is every need supplied? Does God take care of our needs? But if you're going to rebel from God and just loosely call yourself a Christian, my friend, God very well may chasten you by not supplying your need. Here Paul is doing the work of the Lord and he is thrown into a court system, a civil uh, uh, attack, and the Lord defends him. The Lord protects him. Number one, Paul's provisions. Number two, uh, Paul's preaching at Corinth. Number three, Paul's protection. Number four, and lastly notice, Paul's planting in Ephesus. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A, the witness of Priscilla and Aquila. The witness of Priscilla and Aquila. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 18 and 19. The Bible says, And Paul after this tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of his brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. Now, I know if I don't discuss this in the message, I'm going to get asked about it after church by a handful of people. What is this vow? He had his head shaved. What is this vow? Well, many people believe that while in Corinth, the year and a half he was there, that he took upon himself the Nazarite vow, meaning he could not drink any vine juice and he could not shave his head. And so Paul now has got a bushy head of hair, maybe even long hair, and, uh, and he's, he's, left, he's left Corinth, and so his vow is over, and so Aquila and Priscilla give him a haircut. Amen? I'm sure it was a much-needed haircut. He had completed his vow. That way, when he showed up to the next town, he would not look like a wild mountain man. And so um, uh, we don't know why he took that Nazarite vow. Maybe it was a pact he made with the Lord in order to get closer to him and deny his flesh to be a better witness within Corinth, but that he did. Now, he comes to Ephesus, and he leaves Aquila and Priscilla there. Now, watch this. He goes to Ephesus. We'll see in just a moment. He's only there for a short time. But he's going to go in the synagogue, he's going to reason with the people, and then he's going to leave two of his disciples, Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, he's going to leave them behind in order to continue to till the ground and get ready for a great uh, 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 revival that's going to take place there during the third uh, missionary journey. They loved Paul. They were friends with Paul. They had uh, uh, co-labored with Paul in a business venture, but now they're getting left behind here in Ephesus, letter B, we see the welcoming Jews. The welcoming Jews. Look at verse number 19 with me in verse number 20. 19 and 20. The Bible says, And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. So remember the Jews in Berea? How they considered what Paul had to say and searched the Scriptures daily? Well, the Jews of Ephesus were the same way. They were just as receptive. He walked into their synagogues and he boldly proclaimed to them Jesus and they did not throw him out on his ear. No, they listened and they were hungry to hear more. He, what he did was he planted the seeds of the gospel. He didn't stay long. He planted the seeds of the gospel. He whetted their appetite, if you will. And then he left town, leaving Priscilla and Aquila there 
to do the work of a missionary until he could return on his third missionary journey. We even see in verse 20 that the Jews begged him to stay, but Paul had plans of going home and giving his weary body and soul some rest. Let her see, and lastly notice, the weary preacher. The weary preacher. Look at verse number 21. The Bible says, But bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus... And when he landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, now we'll look at the rest of 23 next week. But what do we see here is that the, church, the people of Ephesus are starving for Paul to preach the gospel to them. These Jews really want to know how to believe in this Messiah, Jesus, and they beg him to stay. And he says, guys, I can't. I need to go to Jerusalem. Now, why did he need to go to Jerusalem? Well, he says he needed to get there for a feast. But we know that Paul didn't make every feast in Jerusalem. But this one he felt he needed to get back to. We do know from Scripture that Paul seemed to have a desire to get back to Jerusalem as often as he could. But what did he do? He needed to give his weary body a break and some rest. And so he retreated out of Ephesus. He retreated to uh, ultimately Jerusalem, made his way to Antioch. And there he rested for a short time before he began his third missionary journey. You say, how long did Paul hang out in, uh, in Antioch? Not very long, because in one verse he arrives and he leaves. He arrives and he leaves. We don't even get to the end of the chapter, and he's already beginning his third missionary journey. He could have just sat, uh, sat at home and enjoyed the, uh, the, 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 uh, the praise of, of, of all of his hard work. He was popular in Antioch. But that he did not do. He went back at it. Now, what is the theme of the message this evening? What are we trying to uh, 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 walk away with as far as the concept? Well, it's this. Paul had needs of finances and God provided. He provided him work and then he provided him wealth through the church of Philippi. Um, uh, 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 Paul had needs of protection. And God provided He kept the Jews off his back while he reached the Corinthians and then protected him in court against the Roman government. Paul had need of rest. And again, God provided. Matthew 11, 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. When we are busy doing the Lord's work, He provides for our every need. Now, I just want to finish with this. It may very well be that someone in this room, or several someones in this room, God calls to a mission field. I think of our missionaries in Alaska, the Sutton family. Way up in Point Hope, Alaska, the warmest it gets is up to about 40. Uh, Most of the year it's well below 20 degrees. For our winter time, it's well below zero degrees. I think of uh, Andrew Magnarella serving the Lord on a Indian reservation to the Hopi Indians in Arizona. He and his wife and children live there, and they're the only Christians they know within miles and miles and miles other than the people they've reached. I think of our missionaries, Justin Williams in in England, who uh, lives there and doesn't have a lot of contact with other Christian friends in a a country that's become very uh, secular, and government has become God over there. I think of uh, missionaries in Japan and missionaries we support in Africa and South America who are all by themselves doing the work of God. I could go on. The Nat Williams family right on the Myanmar-Thailand border. These folks, they don't have 
American goods at their easy, easy disposal. But you know what they do have? They have a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And they have the God who has all of the intellect and wisdom they need. And they have a God who has all of the emotional reserve they need to recharge them. God very well may call someone here to go to the mission field, a faraway land, and serve Him. And that's a scary thought. It can be a scary thought. I think it is a scary thought. That's why more people don't go. But my friend, God promises to supply our every need and not to allow anything to come our way that He doesn't sign off on and allow. Now, from a practical standpoint to each one of us here today, some of us are so busy trying to pay our own way through life, that's getting in the way of us doing the work of the Lord. We're not as involved in church service as we ought to be because we're too busy supplying our own needs and oftentimes our wants. God wants us to lay that mentality down and say, Lord, I'm going to give you my walk. I'm going to walk with you by loving you, and I'm going to work for you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of my every need. Every need supplied. That's what he promised. Well, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in grace by Christ Jesus. Let's trust him to do that tonight. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord God, thank you this evening that you took care of Paul all along the way. You provided for him by giving him a job and, and then sending the offering from the church of Philippi. You protected him. You offered him a protection. You offered him rest for his weary body. And Lord, we know that you are a God who supplies our need. But Lord, help us to not only know it in our head, but to experience it in our life. May we put you to the test and see that you come through. There may be someone here this evening that is uh, 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 self-reliant and not enough uh, Savior-reliant. Lord, help us to learn to trust you to take care of everything that we have in our life that's in need. In Jesus' name we pray.